Welcome to the inaugural episode of this Backyard Baseball Podcast. My name is Derek. And I'm, I'm Jordan. Joined. <laughs> oh. so yeah, we, we can't start a podcast like that. Uh, it has to be more coordinated. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I was going to keep that in. But no, I know. I, well, I was, I, I, I don't think I, I didn't miss that. I was, I'm good. I'm good. Oh man. Now, now <laughs> we really have to redo this. I know. <laughs> what a, what a train wreck. All right. Let's start over. Welcome to episode number one of a brand new podcast that you didn't know you needed, but you do. My name is Derek. And I'm Jordan. And I'm really ready for this. You don't sound ready. That was way delayed. I got to say a little bit behind there. Wasn't ready for that particular moment, but for the podcasts that I definitely need in, in my life right now that, that I'm ready for. Fantastic. Well, uh, this is a podcast all about backyard baseball, specifically backyard baseball 2001 for now, at least who's to say what the future holds, but, um, Backyard Baseball 2001, the untitled podcast. Uh, Jordan, give us give us some kind of name that we can put on a banner or a website or a paid advertisement. Absolutely. Um, let's go with... Um, I yeah, wanted something. Got to be honest, I don't think that'll work, Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how about... <laughs> Baseball podcast. Pablo's baseball podcast. Secret weapon. No, none of mm. these. Um, by the time this is up, there will be a title. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter because it's not about the title. It's about the game. It's about the game. It's about the game. The game that we all know and love. Certainly the game that Jordan, my brother, and I played as kids. For countless hours, Saturday mornings at 6 a.m., waiting for the infomercials to be over on PBS so that we could, you know, get to watching Magic School Bus and whatever else was on on Saturday. I don't remember. It's been right. a long time. But I do remember Backyard Baseball. How can you forget? I know. And I'm, I remember actually the moment that my dad brought it home. It was such a shock to me because my dad gave me a lot of things that were good things, but I didn't think he was going to get me this particular computer game. But I remember when he walked in the door and he just like surprised me. He just put it in front of my face and I lost it because I, I knew about it and wanted it really badly. But I think that what surprised me as I've grown up is just how popular the game was with this narrow age group. And so when I got to college, I actually, I brought the game with me on a flash drive because I still like to play uh, a little bit every once in a while. And I started talking with guys like Paul McMichael, Derek Barnhart, and they said things like, oh my goodness, backyard baseball, that was my favorite game growing up. Oh, I still love to play backyard baseball. And we started talking about our favorite players, both backyard players and professional players. And that was really when we got the idea together to start a backyard baseball league. And we didn't know what that would mean. And we knew that 
at the time when we were in college, we didn't really have time for it. But we eventually circled back to that idea and created what is now the Backyard Baseball League. Yeah, and I, I got to say the game itself holds up incredibly well over time. The simplicity of the game lends itself to uh, a sense of staying young. You know, it doesn't try to overcomplicate itself. Like you ever play an old Nintendo 64 baseball game, you know, yeah. and everybody is uh, two polygons stuck to each other. Yeah. And then the ball goes in the corner and you're running around and you, and you don't know where your player is and you can't see anything. And, yeah. and you're just like, oh, this feels bad. This feels aged as much as you love it. You know, it's there are obvious problems. Uh, it's just not the case for backyard baseball. Yeah. And there are other, there are some websites that have some articles specifically praising some of the ins and outs of the game design. I think of the ringer.com. I think of Cespedes uh, Family Barbecue. And um, we'll do some of that too in, in, in our episodes. But I think that to that point, the way that they embraced a blend of 2D and 3D animation just gives the, the game so much character. Um, that's That I think is genius and uh, makes the game so fun and whimsical, yet still, um, like you said, excellent to play it does feel like you're playing baseball and it doesn't feel like the game designers knew nothing about baseball. They obviously were big baseball fans. What do you remember as your favorite aspect of the game? Uh, I mean, I always remember playing in season play. That was always the challenge, trying to pick uh, the best team, obviously always centered around Derek Jeter and trying to make it to the World Series and win. Um, I also remember I never quite had the focus to make it through all the way <laughs> to a full season. So I would end up in the playoffs or somewhere close to there and then um, either quit or start a new season and do it all over again. I remember one of my main goals, like I love season play, but within every game, it seemed like my my goal was to get a grand slam with a an aluminum power bat. That was just to me the ultimate, uh, the ultimate backyard baseball moment. If I could pull that off, which kind of, which just goes to show, it just reminds us that this uh, this game is not like a, like a normal baseball game. It's really silly, Absolutely. and there's all <laughs> there's all this kind of stuff that makes it weird. Um, and when we played as kids, uh, I remember winning a lot. Um, because I was reluctant to play on the hardest settings. But when we got together as a league, we decided, all right, it's time to stop messing around. You know, we're not kids anymore. There's an initial problem, and that's that there's no way to play backyard baseball against somebody else. Um, actually, in backyard football, you could at least play side-by-side -side on the same PC, which we also did growing up. Absolutely. But backyard baseball, you, you couldn't do that. So... You need to come up with another another method of scoring in order to compare your performance against another player manager, as we call them. So in the beginning of the, the league, each person, um, each player manager drafts a team and we play 
um, scheduled regular season games against each other. But the way that we score it is by way of run differential. And run differential is calculated by your score minus the computer's score. So for example, if I um, beat the computer, say three to one, and I'm matched up against my brother, Derek, and he beats the computer five to two, he beats me by a score of three to two because he beat the computer by three runs and I beat the computer by two runs. So he would get the player manager victory that week. But since we both beat the computer, we would also get a victory for that, which all factors into your cumulative win percentage. So I would essentially be one and one after one week of play while my brother would be two and oh. It does matter. The team that you play against, there are certain rules about how many pro players can or cannot be on the opposing team, uh, a minimum of five. And if there are seven or more, you do have the right to redraft and play against a slightly weaker team. But somewhere between those five and seven pro players per opposing team is the sweet spot for competition. Right. And so the team that you play against kind of functions as that um, standard, you know, where to kind of measure against we want to make sure we're playing against similar teams but when it comes to preseason and drafting I mean choosing your team you are you're trying to come away with the best players possible so we have two different leagues of seven player managers in each league Uh, there's nine players on a roster and there are 63 total players in the game including the custom player and Mr. Clanky. And so the draft, there's a couple different aspects to that that we might explore in a future episode, but after you draft your players, there's a, uh, there's a season or there's a portion of the season that's um, trading um, and trying to get your roster to where you want it to be. And then, then you play. First, we have to introduce you to the player managers in the league. So in the National League, Derek Barnhart is the general manager for the Bombers. Pat Cook is the captain of the Pirates. Jonah Colvin leads the Melonheads. Derek Tincher of the Astros. Andrew Tincher, his brother, with the Marlins. Spencer Collins leads the Monsters. And lastly, Jaden Greenwood pilots the Fishes. And that brings us to the American League where Ian McMichael is the skipper for the Blue Jays. My uh, co-podcast host, Derek Helwig, is um, the fearless leader of Derek's Wasso's Wombats. More on that later. (laughs) Yeah, Seth Dixon manages uh, the Baltimore Orioles. Wasso, Joel Wasserstein, uh, (laughs) is now the head of the Kansas City Royals, Tyler Greenwood is uh, doing a great job over there with the uh, the Hornets. I don't know his descriptor name. Huh, I don't know. Um, I'm, I've got the charge of the Anaheim Angels, not the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, mind you. <coughs> and then Paul McMichael 
um, the doubly defending World Series champion, Oakland Athletics. Now, talk about Paul for a little bit, because some of these guys have been in the league multiple years. Some of these guys, it's their first year. Um, what's the background on some of these some of these managers here? Right. So there was a core group of people that started in uh, 2017, I believe, was the inaugural season. Um, and within that group was you, me, Paul, Derek Barnhart. And um, I believe other than that, yeah, everybody else has been added in subsequent seasons. So um, that's kind of the core group. And we've had uh, a number of returners from last year. And um, so Pat Cook and Jonah joined us um, the second year. And Derek Tincher, Andrew Wasso all joined us the third year. And I believe the rest are our rookies more or less. Ian had a, a stint as an interim manager uh, last year. <laughs> and uh, this is his first full year as a player manager of the the Blue Jays. Yeah, so uh, I have to say this publicly, Derek's Wasso's Wombats. Uh, I did not steal Wasso's Wombats from Wasso. He uh, gave me the franchise when originally he planned on not playing as Wasso's Wombats uh, as he had before. So I asked him, hey, Wasso, may I lead the charge with Wasso's Wombats? And he said, sure. Yeah. So hence Derek's Wasso's Wombats. And then later another spot opened up. So Joel came back and is now in charge of the Royals. Yep. No, that was really confusing to Spencer. He was trying to figure out trade stuff and he was like, okay, so explain Derek's Wasso's Wombats. Is, so there's a person named Derek Wasso. I said, no. Um, backstory. <laughs> and we tracked through that. He was utterly confused, but I, I think we got him straightened out. Yeah, all straightened out. Yes. So the reigning champion yes. is Paul McMichael and has been for some time. Yeah, and I think I think that um, Paul really signifies something. I, as, if you can't tell already, as much as we enjoy the game, um, we also have made a bigger than reasonable deal out of numbers. We've kind of created numbers to go around uh, and kind of create this league. And the number that kind of looms over the league right now is the number 52. But all of this is really rooted in real baseball. So it is absolutely, it's absolutely true that baseball changed with the rise of sabermetrics um, as represented in the movie Moneyball starring Brad Pitt. Um, but I think even that movie then changed public perception of baseball as well as we started to understand the Moneyball concept and uh, Billy Bean's plan to shake up baseball in um, bringing a team to victory out of kind of the island of misfit toys <laughs> of baseball players. Because uh, a team like the Oakland Athletics doesn't have near the money that the 
the Yankees do. Well, when we started playing backyard baseball, we all brought our our memories, our nostalgic memories with us. And most of those memories included hitting lots of home runs with our favorite juiced up players. Not Paul McMichael. Paul, from the very beginning, seemed to be focused on a different kind of draft strategy. He was focused more on speed and picking up players that no one else was really interested in. Taking a player like Luan Louis in the first or second round. Taking a player like Reese Worthington over Mikey Thomas. Why would somebody draft someone like Reese Worthington? Because he gets on base. Because he gets on base. And Paul, instead of focusing on a power approach or really even hitting to the outfield from the beginning has been trying to put the ball on the ground and put the ball in play, get people on base and then let the computer make mistakes and letting the defense wear down over time. I would just like to interject and say this strategy had never even occurred to me, not as a kid and not as an adult. I thought the only way to play this game was hit it over the fence <laughs> or else you're not scoring. And Derek Barnhart of the Bombers has really perpetuated that particular strategy with some pretty decent success. In fact, um, enough success to lead to the PED investigation of 2018, 2019, both years were pretty significant. Derek Barnhart hit an alarming number of home runs. Um, but Paul, at, the, um, at the, the time the inaugural season tapered off, even though it didn't come to a, a real conclusion, there was no World Series, he was one of the clear favorites, if not the clear favorite, to win the league. So then coming into the next season, um, it seemed like what he had started in the first season, he further honed. He went on to win the championship in each of the next two seasons um, to the point where now in 2020, there's started to be some concern. Can anybody beat Paul McMichael? And that all came to a head in week two when in a game against Pat Cook's Pittsburgh Pirates, he scored 52 runs in a game against the computer. Maybe what's most disheartening is that Pat Cook also posted a personal best of 17 runs, which would have beat almost every other player manager um, that week in the league if he would have been matched up against them. But Paul uh, bested the previous record of 35 runs, which was posted by the Montreal Expos in a playoff game in a previous year with 52 runs. He later released the entire game footage to prove what he had done and uh, also to give a little bit of insight into his, his strategy. Now I have to say... I have watched this footage and 
I have mixed feelings. I'm not going to lie. Um, in one respect, I am impressed by the ingenuity and the cleverness of Paul McMichael and the athletics. On the other hand, there, there's a part of me that says, is this right? Is this a little cheap? Is this what the game is about? And um, I haven't, I haven't come to terms with, with those feelings quite yet. Uh, they're still fresh. But I can't say I, I feel 100% great about everything I saw in that footage. One thing that sticks out to me is when he's working on a double play and he gets somebody caught in a rundown and he just throws back and forth to make them run out of juice. There's one thing that none of us would have been like, yeah, that's my plan. But I can tell you that Paul has absolutely no question marks in his mind. And that's what I love about him, that for him, there's no such thing as, I'm not going to say there's no such thing as cheap (laughs) in his mind. If it's legal and it results in winning, then that is what he's going to do. And uh, (laughs) his, his, uh, his purest approach to that strategy does, uh, I, I admire that at least a little bit. Yes. I have to say in that sense, um, it is incredible uh, the level to which Paul is willing to go to find victory. Uh, there is no limit. So in that sense, he is absolutely a pioneer of backyard baseball, or at least in my eyes. Maybe he picked that strategy up from his cousin or someone else. I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I do I. One, so do I, I honestly. Uh, I, for one, yeah, I am, I have, um, you know, a a personal chip on my shoulder because he beat me last year in the World Series. And so I am out for blood. We are both in the American League. I am playing every game, looking forward to hopefully the American League Championship Series. Uh, Should we, should we both get there? Um, that's, that's what my whole season seems to be leading up to. No doubt. Uh, you will get there. You will get there. Yeah, we'll see about that. Uh, I'd like to make a sharp U-turn and then a left turn and then a few other turns uh, into another topic <laughs> that I'd like to talk about. Is that all right? You have the floor. Um, you know, talking about nostalgia and what this game was like playing as a kid. Uh, when I played, I was six years old, seven years old, maybe. And at that age, I certainly looked up to these players, specifically the professional players who were sitting on the bench waiting to be picked uh, to play for me. And that was a significant thing. And I guess as a kid, at the age of six or seven, I always assumed these kids are like 
the older kids. These kids are the cool kids. But coming back to the game as an adult, you know, I, I look at these kids sitting on the bench and I just, I have one thought that I can't escape. And that is, how old are these kids? Hmm. How old are they? I think that to get started on that question, you have to look a little bit at their speech patterns, their perceived yeah, level of intelligence, their size, their uh, the pitch of their voice, and then any other any other indicators that the game gives you in, in flavor text. But even all of those leave you at a little bit of a a dead end unless you try to reconcile it with real numbers. Say, for instance, the difference in age between Cal Ripken Jr. and someone like, I don't know, Ken Griffey Jr. when the game was released. Well, I'll have you know I did just that and more. Uh so let's take, for example, Ivan Rodriguez. Ivan Rodriguez, when you open up his baseball card on Backyard Baseball 2001, his birthday is shown as 11.30. No year. Just day and month. Huh. So in reality, in real life, Ivan Rodriguez was born in 1971 and today is 48 years old. At the time the game was created, Pudge was roughly 30. Now, does any of this matter? Probably not. The creators could have made the game and made Pudge whatever age they wanted to. But I thought maybe the age of the players was calculated by the year they made their debut. If that was true, Pudge would be 10, first playing in the big show in 1991. So 10 perfectly appropriate age to be playing with your friends in the backyard, throwing slow kids out, trying to sprint to second base. You know? Makes sense. But then, there's Jason Giambi, born in the same year as Yvonne Rodriguez, also playing in Backyard Baseball 2001. But he made his debut a few years later. He didn't play in the MLB until 1995, which would make him the young age of six. And... Can he really be a different age if he was born in the same year? Is six too young to play competitive kid pitch baseball? I think that considering all of the all of the different players at the different points in their career, like I mentioned, Cal Ripken Jr. at the very twilight of his career, and Ken Griffey Jr., midway through his career and then other people's careers who didn't matter at all, like say Sean Green. Maybe it's possible that there was some type of black hole present at the creation of this game, a type of, a type of um, time distorting function that brought them all together at exactly the same age. Jordan, I, that's an interesting theory. Um, 
but I have, I think I have a better one. I'll be honest. Um, so I wasn't satisfied with this explanation. It, it ultimately doesn't hold up. If you look at uh, Jason Kendall or Nomar Garcia Parra, they started playing in 96. So they would just be five years old. Alex Gonzalez, three at best. The bigger problem is Tony Gwynn. If we determined his age by his debut, Tony would be a cruel, sadistic college sophomore beating up on kindergartners. Great. Uh, how old are you? I'm 12. We're like 1,200. That doesn't fly. So there are a few other methods I thought we could pretty much eliminate immediately. What if everybody's age was based off of when the first backyard baseball was made? 1997. Everybody would be four years old. However, in the first game, all the backyard kids would be zero. Doesn't work. Maybe everybody is exactly the same age. Any age. Random age. 10, 12, 7. Doesn't matter. It can't be possible because of the siblings. Vicky and Kenny, Amir and Ahmed, Ronnie and Sally. So... I did what anybody would do. I searched Google. Google reveals nothing. The official Backyard Baseball website has long been taken down. The only thing you can learn from that is that Dmitry Petrovich's father is a rocket scientist. And then it hit me. I realized I was forgetting one major thing, the X factor in this whole equation. Mr. Clanky. The robot. The robot. I realized no players have a listed birth year because none of the players, both pro and non-pro alike, are real human players. So what you're saying is that Mr. Clanky is the only non-finished created player. That could be one explanation. There's another. And to me, it makes no sense otherwise. How could pro players be all in the same place, playing with this incredibly diverse group of kids who are always available and many more are way talented than they have any right to be. My theory is Mr. Clanky was lonely. He had nobody to pitch batting practice to, nobody to ref, not a soul to cheer for as a mascot. So he started creating, looking to the best in organized sports, and he made replicas of all the players he admired most. He also made replicas of the kids who ever happened to be by his clubhouse in the trees. Have you ever noticed the pair of binoculars on the window overlooking the baseball diamond? The only Mm. person in the clubhouse is Mr. Clanky. Through his observations, he created a variety of appearances and attributes in order to keep the games fair and interesting. I have further evidence to support this theory. Mr. Clanky's bio page calls him the leading sports robot of the new millennium. Leading. 
presumes there are other robots who are following him. His robots. Mr. Clanky also doesn't have a birth year, meaning each day slash month might just be an activation date, not a birthday. Furthermore, it is the only way that create a player feature makes any sense. Choose a height, a build, a sex, appearance, and stats for a custom robot kid. If a kid can be created for a baseball game, there must be someone within Backyard Baseball who has the means to create a player. I think then that leads to an obvious question, which is within the game, within the context of the game, where does Mr. Clanky come from? That is an important question that remains to be answered. Now, if you're somebody who doesn't subscribe to that particular theory, maybe offering a couple of different arguments against it. For example, the fact that Sean Green has apparently been playing baseball since he was a toddler or that Cal Ripken Jr., quote, hasn't missed a game since kindergarten, both indicating that they're real people who age like real people. Then you may want to pay attention to a future podcast episode in which I give an opposing theory called the field of dreams theory. Well, that sounds like it's been done before on field of dreams. I got to say, Jordan, uh, we've seen the movie. In fact, just go watch the movie right now. No, only kidding. Of course, uh, please present your theory in a later episode. Yeah, I already have James Earl Jones coming, so I can't cancel it. Oh, okay. Well, I will look forward to that with much anticipation. Uh, I believe with that, we are finished. Jordan, thank you so much for joining me in recording this first episode. And I look forward to recording many more with you. Absolutely. There's more to say, more to know, and more to ask as we uh, track through backyard baseball, particularly the 2020 season. Yes, we will be coming with some high-level overview. Uh, Certainly, we won't be getting into the play-by-play most likely, but... Uh, we will keep you up to date on the season. Coronavirus is happening. How does that affect our season? Uh, all to be seen and to be told on this podcast right here. Yes, and it should be noted, of course, that coronavirus is not just a worldwide pandemic, but also one of the fixtures in the Oakland Athletics lineup this year. And one of the fastest, uh, if my eyes don't deceive me. Very correct. Correct.